being pressured by being in a crowded place under pressure for us all to go in the same direction. It can be difficult to resist pressure or to escape from a crowd. This must often have been the case for Jesus as the crowds pressed him on all sides, eager to hear, eager to see, eager to touch, eager to experience the touch of Jesus in their lives. We want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him. Didn't choose that song this morning, but I could have done, couldn't I? It's often the way we talk about our own relationship with Jesus. Sometimes he feels that little bit too distant that we can't get to him. We want to be closer. We want to reach out. We want to experience what he can give us in our lives in its fullness. This story I've thought about as being, this this story together as being all about people under pressure, P-U-P, pup, I suppose, people under pressure. There's the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, she's had to avoid the presence of the crowd because the rules said that because of what she was suffering, she could not touch people. She could not be in contact with other people. She'd been isolated And that isolation had built up the pressure upon her. That was her experience. Twelve long years. She hadn't been able to go to worship. She couldn't attend the synagogue, the gathering place of people for worship, because her illness made her unclean. But this crowd, you know, it was a good thing for her, wasn't it? The pressure of the crowd here was good because it enabled her to come, as it were, incognito. Nobody would notice her because there were so many other people milling around. Nobody would have any time for this woman. Perhaps it was that which gave her the confidence to come to Jesus in this particular way. And as we've said, her faith is rewarded Just the hand touching his garment is enough. I tried to think of any other healings in the gospel where someone is healed in this way. I couldn't actually think of any. You may, with your Bible knowledge, think of another situation like this. Most of the situations of healings we find in the gospel are where somebody comes to Jesus and says, please heal me. Or people bring someone to Jesus and say, please bring healing to my friend. But this, just this touching of the cloak, touching of Jesus' coat, I think it's, I can't think of, couldn't think of any others. Did Jesus know before she came that she would come? I don't know. Was he in control of his healing power? Did he allow this to happen in this particular way? Or did he only know when it had happened? Not that we're, I'm just asking these questions because it's nice to know, but to try understand, to understand a bit more about healing and the way in which Jesus' healing gift was used. Faith was necessary 
the woman showed faith. But was the faith in the object or in the person himself? Surely it was in the person of Jesus. It was the very fact that she, she could get to Jesus. She believed there was something special about Jesus which could bring her healing. Was Jesus in control of the gift? Could she have reached out and not experienced healing? Did Jesus know? Interesting question, isn't it? Because the sense I get is that Jesus did not heal everybody who had some illness. In other words, it seems that his gift of healing was under his control. Was that control being over, overridden, as it were, by this woman who comes to him? Or did Jesus allow this woman to be healed? Interesting, isn't it, to think about that? But the key to her healing certainly seems to be in her faith. The fact that she really believed that if she could just touch Jesus, he could heal her. And that was how the healing was experienced. You see, I don't think that Jesus gave in to pressure. Because Jesus in a sense, is somebody who's under pressure here as well, isn't it? Isn't he? As we'll think about in a moment. But the moment that this lady is healed, Jesus seems to place pressure on the woman herself by telling the whole crowd what had happened. Power has gone out to me. Wasn't it a rather cruel thing for Jesus to say, to, to sort of expose this lady who'd come secretly and not wanting to be exposed? It's a bit like Zacchaeus, isn't it? He exposed Zacchaeus, who was hidden away in the tree. He wanted to, wanted to, didn't want anybody to know he was there. And he does the same with this, this lady. Somebody touched me. And the crowd, as it were, parts back from Jesus. And this lady comes forward. Yes, it was me. Pressure upon her. But the way I think that Jesus actually treated her removed the pressure from her, in a sense. Just imagine if she crept away, healed, yes, but unable to tell anybody what had happened. Perhaps with a still a sense of guilt that she'd actually stolen something from Jesus. She, as it were, stolen them, the healing which she could make, maybe. Uh, that would have left her with a sense of guilt. Jesus' action um, reminds me actually a little bit of the way in which he dealt with the woman caught in adultery. Because he releases her from the guilt of that situation. Here he releases her as well. He says, go in peace. There's a lovely verse which I often think of when I think of Jesus from, uh, and, and the way I think he looks to us to to be as well. In, um, if you remember in Isaiah 53, this is a slight aside from what I'm saying, but it's Isaiah 53 where the, we have the suffering servant picture that, 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 that Isaiah brings to us, a foretelling of Jesus and how he will be. And it says, a bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. Um, he, he, somehow in this situation, you see this, don't you? He, the gentleness that Jesus brings to this woman to release her from not only the physical suffering that she's undergone, but the turmoil which must have come as part of that uh, associated experience of her. 
So he says, go in peace. You're free. You're set free. You're restored. The pressure's no longer on you. You can live your life um, without that tension in it anymore. There's another interesting thing in this sto- the way these stories are set together. This woman, so desperate to experience Jesus' healing that she breaks all the rules, juxtaposed, as it were, with the man responsible for upholding the rules, Jairus, also desperate for Jesus to heal his daughter. Jairus was the man who was responsible for this in the synagogue. He would decide on who spoke and how services were conducted. It was his responsibility for maintaining good order. So he presumably knew the respect of the local population. For him to come and kneel before someone else showed his desperation, showed the pressure that there was upon him as well as a result of the situation in his home. It's probably fair to assume that Jesus was not always welcome in synagogues. We know that he went to one and he was driven out, don't we? He spoke outside. Nobody could control what he had to say and what he did outside the synagogue. Jairus was the guy who controlled what was said and done in the synagogue. So do you see the conflict, as it were, between those two roles? Jairus might have been the one who said, I won't go to Jesus because Jesus has you know, he's, he's, he's doing things outside of the control that I wish to impose on what God wants to say. The synagogue is the place where we hear God's word, where we read God's word, not outside there. Do you see the conflict? And yet Jairus was under such pressure, he was so desperate because of his daughter's situation, that that was overridden. And he comes and he kneels before Jesus and, and he makes Jesus his master, as it were, in his desperation. Perhaps Jairus would be somebody who would normally send servants to ask someone to come, but his desperation is such that he goes himself. And then, having persuaded Jesus, pressed him, as it were, to come to his home, then this woman comes along. You know, the crowd holds him up. And I just imagine the pressure that was going on in Jairus's mind and thought through that time. You know, how, how much longer is looking at his watch and saying, how much longer before we gonna, are we going to go on before Jesus comes to me? Um, why is Jesus wasting time with this woman when my young daughter is dying? Why is Jesus talking to her when he needs to hurry to my home? What's wrong with my home that he seems reluctant to come? Have I done something wrong to him in the past? And now he won't respond. He's finding excuses not to come. And then his servants turn up and tell him it's too late. Pressure turns to grief, perhaps even to anger that Jesus had delayed. Maybe he feels let down. His only hope, his one and only hope, he'd stooped to this and he'd been let down by the only person he thought could help. What's left for him now? The daughter that he loved, the 12-year-old daughter that he loved, just at the time of her life when her future was all before her. Jesus' response, though, is wonderful, isn't it? I'm coming anyway, don't worry. What what are you panicking about? Do we sometimes need to hear that? 
Do we sometimes need Jesus to say, don't panic? Don't get anxious. I'm coming. I'm here. I'm still here. I, I haven't gone anywhere else. There's nothing wrong with your house. You invited me, and I'm going to come. It's my time. You need me, and you showed your faith by coming to me. And I'll honor that. I'm not going to let you down. Just believe. Just believe, and she will be healed. A tremendous promise there is in that, isn't there? What? Just believe, and she will be healed. And then coming to the house, there's yet another crowd, another lot of people under pressure. This time it's a weeping crowd, and it's a scornful crowd. Did you notice they laughed at Jesus when he said she's just asleep, and she's going to be awake soon? They laughed at him. A scornful crowd. Probably most of us, if people laugh at us, that puts pressure on us, doesn't it? It puts pressure on us to conform not, don't be so silly. You heard that said to you? Don't be so silly. Maybe we've said it to other people. Don't be so silly. That's what they were saying to Jesus, isn't it? Don't be so silly. It wasn't very welcoming for him and the three disciples he'd chosen to go with him. More pressure upon him. But Jesus had not come here just to offer sympathy to the mourners. His ministry is about restoration. And in a very noticeable and deliberate way, he removes the pressure. He sets everybody else outside. And he and just the disciples and the child's mother and father go into the house. Just imagine what it would have been like for a 12-year-old girl who appears to be dead humanly speaking, dead. Just imagine what it would have been like for her if she'd been restored to find these crowds of people milling around mourning, like gawping at her, I suppose you'd think, wouldn't you? Put yourself in that situation a moment. In fact, the sight might, I wrote down here, the sight might have caused a rather rapid relapse, actually. So I think it's lovely the way, again, that Jesus treats her. Um, and he goes in and says, my child, get up. My child, get up. I think in a way, we see her, her, her restoration. She gets up. He tells her parents to give her something to eat. And then as well, not wanting, I think, to see her as somebody who everybody looked at, who everybody stared at. She was the girl Jesus restored to life. He says, don't tell anyone what's happened. Was that for her? Just for her? For her, the good of her and restoration of her as that that young lady, as it were? You know, he's not making a spectacle of her. He's protecting her. That's the way I see that. It wasn't that he didn't want anybody to know about it. Because we've got the story here, haven't we? We all know about it. Maybe I, think, I just feel that was for her protection, to avoid the pressure that would otherwise be upon her in her life as being someone that Jesus had brought back to life. She was Jairus' daughter. Wow. Yeah. 
celebrity pressure. Yeah. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that's just my sense of how Jesus treated her. So what then does this teach us? Well, first, the first question I asked was, what are the pressures we experience in our own lives? We're under pressure to achieve, to perform, to behave in certain ways, to conform to certain beliefs or ways of living our lives. We are under pressure perhaps we have because we have too much. We may be under pressure because we have too little. The pressure that other people apply to us as to what we should and shouldn't do can be a cause of guilt. We fail to perform to other people's expectations of us, the pressure that other people can put upon us. Pressure can become depression as it gets, the pressure gets too much for us to bear. Pressure can become oppression when we try to offload the pressure that we're under onto other people. Pressure from others can cause all sorts, in my view, and I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not trying to analyse this, but my sense is that often it's the pressure that's placed upon us which can cause discord and disagreement and conflict and difficulty in our own lives. And I think that these, some of these stories which we see in the Gospel of wonderful healing they're not necessarily there meant to tell us that good Jesus is going to heal every, every illness that we have, every physical ailment that we have. God chooses to heal in certain circumstances. God demonstrates his power over illness and suffering by showing in these particular stories the healing power that he has for us. But I think there is a universal message here that Jesus wants to restore us, to release us from the pressure which causes so much turmoil in our own lives and consequently in the lives of others. I believe Jesus wants us to release us from the things that press upon us, like the crowd pushing us into a particular mould, into a particular shape. There's a lovely verse, isn't there, in Matthew chapter 11. And I'll, I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter 11 and 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then there's another verse which is quite interesting because in, uh, in, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he talks to them about how they have freedom in Christ. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slaves are people under pressure, aren't they? Constant pressure from their masters to do whatever it is their master wants. 
We have been set free from the tyranny, the slavery of sin. The demand from Satan that we always do what he wants us to do. That's the slavery of which Paul speaks. The demand that we are live everything according to the law. He said, you're not living under that slavery anymore. You're people of grace. You're people that God loves, that God's been good to, that God cares for, and God has you under the shelter of his wing. God loves you, and you are under living in his grace. You're not under the, under the pressure anymore of being slaves to sin. You're under God's grace. You're set free from all that pressure that would otherwise be upon you. We as Jesus' body here on earth should be trying to relieve the pressure. Sometimes we press one another. Sometimes our faith, our commitments can bring themselves a pressure upon us when we lose sight of Jesus, the one who loves us and who treats us with grace and goodness. Healing comes to us as we share sometimes the pressures upon us and try to help one another to cope with those pressures. We share the burden and we forgive one another. Another verse, Colossians, which I don't think I've marked, but Colossians chapter 3 is another beautiful verse about how we are to live our lives releasing the pressure that we sometimes apply to one another. It says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since since as members of one body you are called to peace. Sorry, that's... No, 13. Here we are. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you see this picture, this pattern, that we are to be people who bring grace, who bring forgiveness, who bring healing into the lives of one another and of the people that there are around us? On um, Tuesday, it was Tuesday. I was in London. I had to go to a meeting in central London, and um, I always catch the early train to Paddington and then the tube. And um, I went down the tube, and I was forgetting which direction I was going in, and I started to go down the Circle Line tunnel, suddenly realized I needed to go down the Bakerloo Line, so I had to go turn around and go back. Have you ever been in a tube tunnel going one way and seen people trying to go the other way? Fortunately, it wasn't too... I didn't have to go too far to get back to where I wanted to get to, and it wasn't too crowded. So I did manage to get back the way I was coming. Maybe you feel you're like in that sort of tube situation where you're trying to battle your way against the crowd. Every pressure is coming on you to go in one direction and you don't feel that's the right direction to go. Sometimes our lives are like that and just all we can do is say to God, help me cope with this pressure. Just take the pressure off. You know, you love me, Lord. I don't want to be under pressure all the time in my life because pressure produces all sorts of difficult and bad outcomes for us. It makes us difficult people to live with if we are under pressure ourselves and not coping with it. Sometimes we have to simply say, Lord, help me. 
I feel like I'm going in the wrong direction up the, up the tunnel against everybody else. I think that Jesus wants us to be people who cope with pressure because their pressure is an essential part of life. You know, if we had no pressure, we wouldn't get up in the morning. If there'd be no, no, no purpose in doing anything, would there? So some pressure is essential to achievement. It's not, it's not a wrong thing that there is pressure upon us, that, that we, if you like, there are things which trigger us to do things and get on with life. But sometimes the pressure can be so hard to bear and sometimes we just need to ask God to help us to cope with the pressure that we may be under. How can we release the pressure that there are on other people, in other people's lives? Can we do something to help other people to experience the healing that Jesus brought in this type of situation? Can our faith in God and the faith he's given us, the grace that he's given us to release us from our sin and from the consequences of our sin, can that help us to bring the same release into the lives of other people? Let's be people who bring the peace of Christ, because peace of Christ rules in our hearts, bring the peace of Christ into the situations, into the pressurized situations that we so often face ourselves. God grant that by his spirit, he would enable that to happen. And God grant that our homes, just as Jairus' home that day, after Jesus had visited it, Jesus had come into Jairus' home. You know, our homes are places where Jesus is present by his spirit. Let our homes be places where people find Jesus alive and bring being peace. Let this place, this home of this church, be a place that's like that as well, a place where Jesus is here by his spirit to bring restoration and healing to anybody who comes here. That's what happens when Jesus comes into our homes. That's a fantastic message. Loads of messages, aren't there, from this passage in Luke. I hope something that I said might uh, ring a bell with you and, uh, and help you.